We are coming to the end of our series in Proverbs, friends, and I hope that you've enjoyed it. I know I have. Brent will be wrapping this series up next Sunday. And we've been talking, we've been going through this book, and we've been talking about wisdom. Proverbs is all about wisdom, and we have said that wisdom is skill at life. Meaning, wisdom is the thing that helps us navigate life, especially in those situations when God's word may not directly apply to our situation. So, for example, wisdom helps you decide which of two jobs to take, which is the better one. Uh, Wisdom helps you discern whether or not you should date someone, and uh, depending on if it does not go well or not, uh, how you should break up with them. Wisdom is is a thing that applies in every area of our life. It helps us navigate through this Christian life. Uh, It is skill at life, but wisdom does more than that. It also helps us build godly character. One scholar I was reading this week, William Brown, says this. He says, the wisdom books, which includes Proverbs, are a collection of valuable insights into godly living, which, if taken to heart and head, will develop godly character, a character that makes wise choices in the rough and tumble marketplace of life. So what he's getting at is that Proverbs is not just advice. It's not a book that we come to just thinking, oh, this is the wise way to live. It is insight that results in godly living. It is insight that when we take it into our heart and into our head, it turns into us living full godly lives. And so we should listen to it, not just because it is wise advice, but because it will make us godly. It is insight that makes us godly. It will help us navigate life in a way that is glorifying to God. And now this morning, we are looking at a very intriguing promise in Proverbs. You may have already picked up on it, but I want us to see if we, if, I want you to see if you can spot it. Let's look closely at our passages this morning, beginning in, uh, with, with chapter 22, verse 9. It should be on the screen. Proverbs says, whoever has a bountiful eye will be blessed, for he shares his bread with the poor. So the one who gives, the one who has a bountiful eye, who is looking for needs and meeting them, who sees people in need and helps them, will themselves be blessed. Let's go over to chapter 11, verse 24. We read, one gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. So again, the one who freely gives to those in need will grow richer. Meanwhile, the one who does not give freely but withholds from those in need will only suffer want. He or she will be poor. Verse 25, whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and one who waters will himself be watered. Again, the one who gives will receive. The one who waters will be watered. The one who who brings blessing will be enriched. And then finally, verse 26, the people curse him who holds back grain but a blessing is on the head of him who sells it. This one's a little bit of a, needs a little bit of context, but essentially what it's saying is the one who sells his stores of grain when it is needed rather than hoarding it for profit later, who sells it when it is needed, a blessing is on his head. Do you see a trending promise through these Proverbs? If you don't, here it is in sum. The one who gives generously, who who generously gives to those in need will increase in riches and blessings. 
but the one who does not generously give to those in need will decrease in riches and blessings. Now, for the sake of this sermon, I've chosen four verses, but this is a theme that runs throughout the book of Proverbs. And at first first glance, this sounds like something you might hear a prosperity preacher say, if you are faithful to give to God, then he will give back to you more than you can imagine. You might imagine that in your head, but that's not what Proverbs is saying. In order to really pull from this, we need to remember two things about Proverbs. Number one, Proverbs does not give us universal guarantees. We have to remember that. As an example of this, Proverbs says a lot about working, working so that you are not poor, working so that you, are, that you have everything you need. And that is generally true. If you work, you will not go hungry. But we know in our world, we live with an economy that is largely out of our control, and there are factors that are outside of our control. And you may work hard, but de- de- depending on the state of the world, you may still be poor. So Proverbs does not give us universal guarantees. And second, When we read the book of Proverbs, you have to almost have the book of Job in the back of your mind. Job is another wisdom book because in the world of Proverbs, everything's very rational. You do this, things will go well with you. You do this, things will go well with you. But the book of Job throws a wrench in that because in the book of Job, you have a righteous man, Job, who's wise, who's living for God, we can say living wisely, and yet everything does not go well with him. He loses his family, his wealth, his health, everything. So we have to keep these two books in hand. Proverbs shows us that our decisions matter. Job reminds us that God is ultimately sovereign and in control. So we have to keep them balanced. So here's the end all of that is we cannot turn Proverbs into equations. We cannot think that if we start giving generously everywhere that wealth is just going to flow into our lives. It would be great if that was how it worked, but that's not what the Bible is saying. Still, Proverbs wants us to understand something so important. Proverbs is telling us that, this is our main point this morning, that in order to live a a full life, a godly life, we must give generously to those in need. This is the teaching of wisdom of God. It's our main point this morning, if you want to write that down. Now, we're going to break this down into four little subpoints. In order to live a full life, we must give first freely. Number two, give without holding back. Number three, give of all of our resources. And four, give in order to receive. Start with number one, give freely. In chapter 11, verse 24, we read this. It says, one gives freely, yet grows all the richer. One gives freely. I love that word, freely. The idea here is that we are not to hold anything back. Like a farmer scatters seed, or like you guys this week with your walkways and sidewalks, we're probably scattering salt everywhere to melt it. We want to be scattering our riches to wherever there is need. We want to be scattering our wealth to wherever there is need. We don't want to just scatter a little bit. We want to scatter as much as we can. And generous, this is so important because this kind of generosity has been a mark of the church from the beginning. Tim Keller has a great quote. Brent has used it many times, but I'm going to use it here again. Tim, Tim Keller says, The early church was strikingly different from the culture around it in this way. The pagan society was stingy with its money and promiscuous with its body. A pagan gave nobody their money and practically gave everybody their body. And the Christians came along and gave practically nobody their body and they gave practically everybody their money. Christians have always stood apart from culture in that we are loose with our money. 
Christians, you can think about it this way, we are called to be promiscuous with our giving, not stingy. We are to be giving freely to all who are in need. According to Proverbs, this is the way to a full life. Now, giving freely also means giving without holding back. Point number two, give without holding back. We are naturally good, I think, at giving to those that we know and those that we love. You know, here in the South, we have a big culture of hospitality. We love to take care of neighbors, our friends, our family, those we know. But Proverbs calls us to give also to those that we do not know. Chapter, 20, ver, chapter 22, verse 9, in fact, encourages us to have, it says, bountiful eyes. And I just love that. We're supposed to have eyes that are looking to give, that are generous. We're supposed to have generous eyes. Not eyes that look and are stingy, but eyes that look at a need and say, ooh, what can I give to that need? We are to be looking for anyone who is in need. And when I say that, of course, we're all in the room like, yeah, Sam, that's great. Yeah, Christ has been so generous to us. We're supposed to be generous to others, of course. But this should challenge us when I say anyone in need because anyone includes those who we might deem undeserving of our generosity. See, we can be tempted to think that someone doesn't deserve our generosity because maybe we think their eyes are they're lazy, they don't work. Too often we make ourselves the judge of whether or not we give generously when the Bible clearly calls us to give freely without holding anything back, even if a person is lazy or has messed up or is not living how we would think they should live, we are called to help, to be ambassadors for Christ to them. Now, to be fair, the Bible does emphasize the importance of work and working to provide, but this teaching does not exempt us from giving to those in need. We are to give to anyone who we might deem not worthy of our generosity. Anyone also includes those who might abuse your generosity. If you help people, if you start living a generous life or you are giving freely, you will be taken advantage of at some point. It, it, is, it will happen. Um, and maybe this is your situation this morning. Maybe at some point in your life you were giving freely and maybe you gave money and it was misused or you tried to help someone and it was not appreciated and you just got burned. And so now you're in this place where you're just like, I'm not going to be generous. I'm not going to be generous. And if this is you, then let me encourage you. Jesus tells us in Matthew that what we do for the least of these, meaning the poor, those in need, we do for him. If those you help burn you, God is still delighting in what you're doing. He's taking pleasure in what you're doing. You are walking, you're doing it for him. Do not let yourself stop being generous due to someone abusing your generosity. Finally, anyone also includes those who are our enemy. Remember that before Jesus was crucified, he washed his disciples' feet. And two of those feet belonged to Judas, who would later betray him. Jesus served his enemy, washed his feet, was generous toward his enemy. Wisdom calls us to do the same. Southside and Baseball, we have to get along, y'all. We have to get along. <laughs> Just kidding, I know, we get along pretty well. But seriously, though, your neighbor who doesn't mow their yard, your coworker who slandered you to the boss, 
your classmate who bullied you, we are called to be generous to anyone who is in need, no matter who they are, enemy or not. This is the way to live a full and godly life, according to Proverbs. Thirdly, in order to live a full life, we must, number three, give of all of our resources. In chapter 22, verse 9, there is an element of sharing. It says, uh, whoever has a bountiful eye will be blessed, for he shares his bread with the poor. I love this because giving generously, it does not just mean that we go up to someone and give them a check. That's, that's not what giving generously is all about. I mean, money is part of it, but um, giving generously is sharing with people resources that we have. Some of you probably did this this week. Actually, I saw some of it on Facebook and social media, helping each other out with busted pipes and, uh, uh, what's the word, shoveling driveways and things like that. And some of us may not have an abundance of money to give, but we do have time. We have other resources. We have an extra coat, extra food, an extra room, financial wisdom, the know-how to fix something that is broken. My wife and I... um, both received excellent examples from our dads. My father and my father-in-law, um, we both have these memories of when we were young, we would ride with our, our dads. And, you know, you always see people on the side of the road who are in need. And, you know, they're always asking for money. And I, I remember watching my dad do this. And I remember of, Julia's told me stories of her dad doing this as well. But they would always, rather than just give them money, they would um, ask them what they need. They would take them for a meal. They would help them with whatever was going on. They would stop and give their time, give their resources, whatever they could do in that moment. In living and giving generously with our life, that's what it looks like. It's not just always handing a check. Sometimes it is. But a lot of times it's giving our life to someone, giving our time and our resources to someone. So number three give of all our resources. And number four, and this is the one where we'll camp out on a little bit, give in order to receive. In order to live a full life, we must give generously to those in need. We must give in order to receive. Proverbs promises a return for our generosity. We see this in chapter 22, verse nine. Whoever has a bountiful eye will be blessed. Chapter 11, verse 24, one gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Verse 25, whoever brings blessing will be enriched. There is a promise of a return for our generosity. But what is it? Is it that good feeling we get when we, when we give? I mean, you know, you help someone, you serve someone, you give to someone in need, and you feel good. You feel good about yourself. It feels good. Is that what it's talking about? Or maybe is it the good reputation we get from being a generous person? Or maybe the tax break we get if we give a lot of donations. Maybe it is those things, but I submit to you that it is something more. That there is a return and it is a beautiful thing. But in order to see it, we need to bring these promises of Proverbs into the New Testament. We need to look at them in light of Jesus. Because Jesus comes onto the scene and he promises us, he says, store up treasure, store up your treasure in heaven. He promises riches in heaven. But also, when Jesus comes onto the scene, he lives, he dies, he rises from the grave, ascends to heaven, and he sends the Spirit. And the Spirit comes into our lives. And the Spirit starts working on us. We call this sanctification. He starts making us, molding us to be more like Jesus. Paul says in Romans eight twenty nine, he says, 
8.29, for those whom Christ foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that Christ might be the firstborn among many brothers. There's this idea that when we are saved, we are saved in order to be sanctified, made like Christ. And I submit to you, and how that happens is through practices of spiritual disciplines, things like praying, reading our Bibles, all kinds of different kinds of spiritual disciplines by which we participate with the Spirit as he molds us to be like Christ. And I submit to you that giving generously is a spiritual discipline by which we are molded to be like Jesus. What we receive when we give generously is an immense spiritual wealth. We receive godliness. We grow in Christ's likeness. Jesus actually tells us in the Gospels that if we are going to follow him, then we must take up our cross and die to ourself. Or he says, take up your cross and follow me, which essentially means die to ourselves. Jesus took up his cross and died for us. So for us to take up our cross, it means to die to ourself. And in Matthew 16, he actually says, whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. In other words, whoever gives his life away will find true life. And Paul the Apostle discovered this as well. When he was in prison, he wrote these words in Philippians chapter 3. I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Paul was in prison, but he was happy. He did not mind losing everything because he had Christ. In Christ is where a full life is found. Some of you may be going, Sam, where are you going with this? What I'm trying to do is connect two dots for us this morning, church. A dot between, I want to make a line between giving generously and true happiness. We all want to be happy, and that is a good thing. Amen? We all want to be happy. The trouble is, we often go to the wrong places looking for happiness. We often think that we need to accumulate more, experience more, do more, uh, accomplish more in order to be happy, but the Bible gives us a totally different picture. The Bible says, give your life away to God and then you will find true happiness. So church, let me ask you this morning, do you want to be happy, to live a full godly life? Then give your life away to God. And this might sound cheesy. You might be going, really, Sam? That, that's your big application? Giving my life away to Jesus will make me happy? But think about it this way. Jesus is the happiest person to have ever lived. Think about that. He was perfect. He is the happiest person to have ever lived. And he spent his earthly life giving it away for everyone. We might define happiness in many different ways, a long life, a big family, lots of vacations. The Bible defines happiness as giving your life away for God and for others. Jesus actually said, I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. At another point, Jesus said, it is my bread to do the will of my father. It is the thing that gives me life to do the will of God. Friends, happiness is found in doing the will of God the Father, in giving your life away for God and for others. I loved 
watching Facebook this week. It was one of those rare times when I enjoyed having Facebook. It's been a crazy year, y'all. Um, but I loved it this week because amongst all the burst pipes and freezing um, temperatures, it was just filled with families sledding, faces of joy, faces of happiness, making snow, snowmen, and all just the fun things you do when it snows. Um, my neighborhood where Julie and I live was just filled with the sound of laughter, and it was just, it was just a, gosh, it just made me feel happy. When we give our life away to God, we will find that kind of happiness. Happiness like what was seen on the faces of children and adults alike this week, sledding down hills. Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher, once said, he says, if you will always will to do as God wills, you will be happy. If God is your cornerstone, if doing his will is your pleasure, your joy, what you find happiness in, you will always be happy. The happiest life is found in giving your life away for God and for others. So we must practice and excel at giving our lives away, at giving generously. And when we do this, when we start finding our happiness in God, something incredible happens in our life, friends. Um, We live for God like we never had before. John Piper famously said, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. When he is our pleasure, we will live for him like like never before. So the obvious application then is to give generously and to give in order to receive, to receive godliness, to grow in godliness and to find true happiness alone in God. Proverbs says that when we give generously to those in need, it says in chapter 11, verse 25, it says, Whoever brings blessing will be enriched. When we give generously, it says we will be enriched and watered. And I love this image that Proverbs give us because any bakers in the room, show of hands, amateur bakers, you know, you tempt it, maybe not, maybe a few people. If you bake, you know, you make a dough and there's like a normal dough that's water, flour, uh, maybe salt, some yeast. But then there's something called an enriched dough, which is, I mean, this is the good dough. This is, you put butter in this dough, you put eggs in this dough, you put sugar in this dough. It's that dough that makes you salivate and want to eat bread. So I'm sorry if you're gluten-free in the room. But it's called an enriched dough. And Proverbs says, the one who gives will become enriched. Like an enriched dough, we will become fat with God. I love that image, my goodness. We will become fat with God. And then the next, the next part of that verse, whoever brings blessing will be enriched and one who waters will himself be watered. We will become saturated with God when we give generously. If we will give generously, then we will become rich in God. And is that not what we want? This is a discipline that shapes us to the image of Christ, makes God our ultimate joy. So the obvious application then is to give generously, but I want to give you some more specific thoughts about it. Number one, I want you to plan for generosity. Don't leave generosity up to chance. Um, Don't live giving generously up to chance. Ask yourself some important questions, and if you have a spouse, uh, ask these questions together. Does my monthly budget reflect a generous spirit? Is there room for giving in my budget? Like, is there room for when I see a need out in the community, I can just meet it and not have to worry about money? And do the same thing for your calendar. Does my calendar reflect a generous spirit? Like, is there space in my calendar for if my friend needs me, for if my neighbor needs me? 
Consider those questions and make changes if you need to make changes. So one, plan for generosity. Number two, have bountiful eyes. Think now, who is in need? Take a moment in your mind. Who is in need in your life? I guarantee you, if you think for a minute, you'll, you'll think of someone. And be on the lookout. This past week, Monday, when all the huge snow had hit, I was walking to Kroger because we live like four blocks from Kroger to pick up a couple groceries. And I was walking back and uh, I, was, I heard this car pull up behind me and it was a National Guardsman pulled up in a Humvee and offered me a ride. And I was like, oh, well, thank you. I didn't take it because I was like one block from my house, but I really appreciated it. But this, 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 this man was out and he was just had bountiful eyes. He was looking for anyone who was in need and offering help. Shout out to any National Guardsman out there. Be on the lookout and give without holding back. And also consider, for us as a church, do you know a way that fellowship can help the poor in our town? You know, we as a church, we are for the city, spiritually and physically. We want to care for people. So if you know of a way, tell us. So plan for generosity, have bountiful eyes. And number three, learn to enjoy God. Learn to enjoy God. This will be a journey. You're not going to wake up tomorrow and, oh, I enjoy God now. Um, This will be a journey of faith. But I want to encourage you in your faith journey. And this may look like several things. It may look like taking some steps of obedience. If you are passively living this Christian life, or maybe you're taking steps in sin, then there's no way you're going to enjoy God. So learn to enjoy God by taking steps of obedience or maybe learn, try to practice an awareness of God. We, sometimes we, sometimes we just, we get, our thoughts get so crowded that we just lose the fact that the Spirit is in us. God in his fullness is within us. So maybe limit your consumption of other things so that you can just have more awareness of God throughout your day and spend time praying and talking with him. This could look like Asking yourself this question. Learning to enjoy God. Ask yourself this question. What do you praise more than anything else in your life? What do you praise more than anything else in your life? Because here's the deal. What we praise the most is what we enjoy the most. What we're telling our friends about, what we're sharing, what we're talking about on social media, that is the thing that we are enjoying the most. So ask yourself that question, what do you praise more than anything else in your life? And pondering that question and your answer to it may help you identify idols that you need to knock down, and it may help you think of ways, man, I I need to put some rhythms in my life to help me enjoy God more. Now, in just a moment, we're going to take communion together. Uh, Hayden, you can come out or up, wherever you are. (laughs) Uh, If you did not grab your elements, you're welcome to grab them from the back table now. Um, And just as a note, we welcome all Christians to participate with us. But here's the thing. Giving generously in the way that I have described this morning is a tall order. It will be hard the second you walk out of this place. So in order to do this, we must recognize the radical generosity that we have received in Christ. In his letter to the Philippians, Paul the Apostle says that Christ emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. 
And I, just, I love that verse because it just tells us that when Christ came and died for our sins so that we might be saved and have the fullest, happiest life imaginable in him, life with him, he emptied himself. There was nothing left. He held nothing back. He gave everything for us to the point of death. He emptied himself for our salvation, generously gave freely without holding back of everything he had. So this morning, we're gonna take the Lord's Supper. And I wanna encourage you as we take the supper, even now, reflect on the sin in your life. Remember your sin which required, which required Christ's death. But also remember your Savior and the joyful salvation you have received through his body broken and his blood shed for you. This is a special opportunity for you to gaze upon Christ in the elements, completely given for you, and consider how you can go and do likewise for others.